0: Alhamdulillah, wakafa will Wassalamun ala ibadihin lazhi na sifa. Amma baad. Fa'odhu belahi minashaytani rojim. Bismillahi roahmani rohim. Wallahi na jahadufina. hum subulana. Subhanahu rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun السلام salamun على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى محمد وبارك وسلم the spiritual path has many trials along it. And how we deal with those trials determines whether or not we get to advance to the next level. It's no different than uh, being a college or a high school student. In fact, we can use that example. It might even be more clear. So, uh, you know, a high school student has to progress from semester to semester. That's their path. And as you add the semesters together, you go from freshman year to sophomore year to junior year to senior year. And along the way, in order to be able to move along that path, there's going to be exams. There's going to be quizzes, there's going to be tests, there's going to be exams. And final exams. And it's the performance on those exams that is eventually going to determine how the person progresses along that path. That should be fairly straightforward. All of us can relate. So the spiritual path is no different. A spiritual path is no different. What happens is that you show up, you learn something, and then you get tested. The only difference is that the tests don't occur in the classroom, they occur outside of the classroom and apparently seem to be disconnected but they're actually related. Now what do I mean by that? Think about it for a minute. When you take high school physics and you wanna progress along the path of high school physics, you go in the classroom, the teacher teaches you A, B, C, D, E, two weeks later you have a unit quiz and then maybe you have an exam. Then the teacher teaches you D C, et cetera, et cetera, C-D-E-F-G. And eventually you might have a quiz, and then you'll have an exam. The entire path is actually occurring within the classroom. You get taught the material, and then you get the test. And then you get taught some more material, and then you get the test. Now the spiritual path is different. You come into the masjid. Maybe you're sitting in the gathering of scholars and you learn some information. You learn hadith, you hear an ayah, you learn some explanation of some sheikh, of some big scholar, and then you leave the masjid and you go into real life and you get tested from directions that you never expect and often it's not on the material that you thought it would be on. And then based on the way in which you respond, you pass or fail, and you can move up or you can move down. So you see the distinction. And this is the way it works. So you can be a, uh, you know, studying to be a mufti. And the funny thing is that the test will never be about uh, uh, you Kitab know, al-Buyur, the book of dealings, the book of financial transactions. The test will be from left field. Somebody will come and say something to you to irritate you. Somebody will do something. It will be very simple. The test will be relatively simple, but it will be a test of the true metal of the person to see what's their character and what's the foundation for the claim that they make that they believe in la ilaha illallah. And the same thing with the people who are sitting in the gatherings of the You sit in the gatherings of dhikr, then you do some salawat, you do some istighfar. No one is going to come and ask you, brother, how many istighfar did you do? Okay, you can move to the next level. What's going to happen is that your parents are going to ask you for something and you're going to fail in providing it. Or someone in the street is going to come and yell at you and you're going to blow up on them. Some test of character, which has nothing to do with the fact that you were sitting and doing A, B, C, D in the masjid, the test will be totally out of left field. Now, I'm included, you're included. We're all on the same path. I'm, there's, you know, now the difference, the other difference, the third, third issue. In the classroom, the teacher gives the test and the students have to pass and sweat. In this classroom, everybody's tested because the tests come from Allah. So just because I have the mic doesn't mean I'm free and just because you're sitting here listening doesn't mean you're free. We're all on the same page. In fact, the whole reason I'm giving you this because I'm going to share with you my test, one of my many tests, uh, you know, and how I fail. But essentially the point here is that what happens is it's typical in this, in this sort of struggle, at least in my, my struggle. That I make like a step forward and I take two back, and the tests come from nowhere. So what happened now? You know, by the way, when I sit here, I don't prepare what I'm going to say. I just look at you guys and then I say something. And Alhamdulillah, you're kind enough of an audience that I can do that. And uh, so, you know, most of the time I share something based on, I don't know, whatever, whatever comes in my mind at that time. But now I have this thing that I've been carrying in my head for three days. So this is going to be my, my uh, therapy session where I can share with you the mistake I made. <laughs> May Allah forgive it. I was sitting in the uh, uh, Juma, it was Jum'at, and I was sitting in the office. Now, I was actually supposed to be at the med school because there's a class that I'm responsible for. But uh, anyway, the, I was responsible for the class, and I got an email saying, you don't have to come to class today. I'll take over. Someone offered to cover my spot. So what that meant that I am free, it's a juma and I'm free, in the sense that I'm going to come and pray. I'm not going to have to lead the prayer. So it's, for me, like a nice opportunity. So I said to myself in the morning, Okay, I'm going to get done this, this, this. I don't have to prepare for Jummah. I just have to prepare myself. I don't have to prepare for what I'm going to say. I don't have to think about all that. So it's a little bit of a free day, and I don't have to go. I mean, it's the last minute. I'm not going to now go be giving Jummah anywhere. So I said, you know, I'm just going to sit in the masjid, and I'm going to just observe everything. Because sometimes it's nice to be able to just observe, because you can find ways to improve things. I, I like to do that. Like, I like to just... So I just I'm going to sit in the office... I'll pray my Jummah, but I'm going to sit in the office, I'm going to look at the shoe racks, I'm going to look at the parking lot, I'm going to look at the cameras, I'm going to just check everything out, and I'm going to make some notes about where to improve. So, subhanAllah, first Jummah, I came I came before the first Jummah, and I went straight to the office, and I was just watching everything. Where are the people sitting? Where can we fix? Where Where is there an inconvenience, et cetera? And I made some notes, and I shared them. Brother Nasser, he's not, I don't know if he's here, but anyway, he's the person who sits in the office, so we made some notes together. And then the second Juma came. Now, I'd already prayed Juma, so I said, okay, let me just watch everything. Everything's going fine. Everything's going smoothly. There's some little things we can improve. We can always improve. You always want to find a way to improve. What happens? The whole thing is done. The whole thing is done, and my test comes. Now, where does my test come? It's the last, like the prayer is going on. I've already prayed, so I'm sitting in the office. The prayer is going on, and a car comes in the parking lot. Now, the parking lot's blocked, right? Because the parking lot's full, and there's no way we can let anybody double park because, number one, there's emergencies, and number two, you have to keep the lot flowing because as soon as Joma's over, everybody has to get out. So what happens is the parking lot's blocked, but... Someone takes their car and like goes over the curb and around the the, the, the thing, right? And now we got three barricades because we got barricade here, barricade here, and we actually barricade the middle of the two lots so that we can control. We call it lot A and lot B. We can control lot A. We can control lot B. We can fill one, close it, fill the other one, close it. So we've got this whole process that we've developed. So anyway, they cross over past barricade one. They cross over barricade two. And literally, the imam is in the second rakah. And I'm watching this. (laughs) And I'm thinking, like, SubhanAllah, what is going on here? Like, how can you cross over to a barricade? And anyway, the person I'm watching on the camera, I'm I'm watching the car. You know, it's a slow motion in my mind. I'm watching the car. So what happens, the person just pulls up somewhere. And I don't know where they pulled up. Honestly, I couldn't see on the camera. But they come running to the door. And they try to open the doors, and then both doors are locked because we also have a control system about the first floor and the second floor. We lock two sets of doors. We open a new set of doors. We send people in a different direction to de- decrease all the chaos. So the two doors are locked. Then they come in the other door, and then I look at the brother, and I say, you know, brother, the the lot's full. And uh, He did, he just says, uh, well, I my car came in. I got my car in. And then I said, you know, brother... You can't come in the lot. You can, the lot's full. You can't come in the lot. And prayer was basically over. I mean, there was no way he could even step enough to make the prayer. And I he has just looked at me with he such a disappointed face, such a disappointed face. And and then he said, "But I have to pray." I said, "Yeah, but you you you." could potentially be blocking people, lots full. you, the prayer's over. So he just turned around and he left. And maybe it took me about an hour, and then I started thinking, subhanAllah, uh, that was not a good thing, on my part. Because I started thinking about a few things. Like It took me an hour because I was all huffy-puffy, although I was relatively calm, I was still all like, perturbed by the fact that someone took their car and like went through barrier one barrier two and uh but anyway it took me a couple hours and then a few hours later I just was left with like you know these you make these mistakes and then you don't remember anything except the mistake especially those of you who are in medicine you know this like you know you you could do you could be you could do 20 years with the good thing and then you make one mistake and that's all you remember you know so anyway I'm just now I'm left with this like memory of this guy's face I don't even know if he will ever come back to the masjid, but I just started thinking, like, subhanAllah, like, we, he left the masjid with a bitter tongue. No matter what it was, no matter what happened, it can't be that somebody leaves the masjid with a bitter tongue. This is not my house, this is Allah's house. And I started thinking about all these things, all these stories. Like, for example, I'll share a couple with you. One, I think everybody in this room knows. On one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting with sahaba. I mean subhanAllah, just think for a minute. Prophet ﷺ is sitting with sahaba and a person comes into the masjid and begins to urinate in the corner. They're relieving themselves in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ while the Prophet ﷺ is sitting with companions. I mean, just think about the extremity of that situation. Number one, they don't even sit, you know, I mean, we're, I mean, come on, if somebody walks in the door and the Prophet ﷺ is sitting and the Sahaba is sitting, like, we would die to be there. This person doesn't even sit with the gathering, number one, that's a problem. Number two, they go into the corner and they begin to relieve themselves. And as soon as Sahaba see this, of course, they're naturally perturbed. This is the masjid of Allah, the Prophet ﷺ is sitting and filth is being placed in the masjid. And what does the Prophet Sallallahu say to them? They want to get up and they want to rectify the situation. He tells them to calm down. He tells them, stop, stop. You stay, let him finish. SubhanAllah, let him finish. Not stop him and tell him, go do this someplace else. Let him finish. And then after he's finished, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi calls him over and says these are the masajid, and I'm just paraphrasing, these are the masajid, these are for the dhikr of Allah, for the praying of salah, for the recitation of Quran, or however the Prophet ﷺ said it, again, I'm just paraphrasing, and, that, and, and then said that this is not, at the, the beginning of the statement, this is not the place for filth, this is not the place for filth, this is the, these are the, the for these masajid are for the dhikr of Allah, etc. So SubhanAllah, look at the way by which the Prophet Sallallahu He dealt with the people who came to the house of Allah. I mean, like, the person didn't even leave feeling anything. In fact, they didn't even stop him while he was doing what he did. But look at the positive impression that the Prophet ﷺ left even on this individual who came and desecrated, literally desecrated the masjid. Now, what was their intention? Only Allah knows. But I mean, the act itself, I'm just commenting on the act in and of itself, it's a desecration of, the desecration of the masjid. So I'm sitting and thinking this, like, subhanAllah, this test came out of left field. I mean, first of all, I should never sit in the office. I'm not a good person. Nasser, you know Nasser, Brother Nasser? He's the perfect person of the office. He's so calm and smiling. I am not the person for the office, because I want every I dotted, every T crossed, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just thinking, subhanAllah, that was not good. Then I started thinking about, you know, because now you start thinking about all these examples. See, when you have these examples in your head, that's when you begin to realize your failures and your mistakes, and where your inconsistencies are. Then I started thinking about another circumstance. And the circumstance is the following, that one time, uh, Molani Elias, who's uh, famous, he's the founder of Tabligh, and um, subhanAllah, a very, very pious person, but, you know, what was what you have to understand when when somebody founds a movement it's not the movement that's the essence it's the intention behind the movement that's really the essence meaning just because a person comes up with some um you know mechanism by which in the time and place in which they exist that they can share the deen it wasn't that they were some sort of like uh managerial expert although they are but it wasn't that wasn't their intent their intent was something it was driven by something that under underlies their um they're, they're coming up with a mechanism so what what was underlying Molani Les, what was underlying his, um, his movement, was just this desire that every person and every all of humanity should benefit. All of humanity there should be a concern for all of humanity, right That's really really the underpinning. Anyway, he shares this story and subhanAllah, I'm reading this story. I read this year, maybe a year ago, I don't know when I read it. I read it a while back. I've read it more than once, but I read it a while back. But the pain that he describes, I'm going to describe the circumstance to you in a minute, the, the pain that he describes, it even hit me at that time. And then it really hit me you know, after this event. So he says the following. He says that one time there was a person who started um, you know, hanging around him, joining his gathering. There was a person that basically joined his gathering. So when the person joined his gathering, uh, they started getting close. The few days they spent with him, you know, they saw, he saw that this person was getting close to him and getting close to what he was trying to achieve and his goals and his mission. So he said that this person started ge- joining the gathering and a few days he was with us and then some more days he was with us, maybe, maybe just a few days total. Again, I'm just paraphrasing off the top of my head here because this is an unplugged talk. So he says that um, what happened was that this person, he kept coming to the gathering, so I started thinking that maybe I could give him a little advice. And so I suggested to him uh, that he should follow a sunnah. I'm simplifying this story here for the purposes of just the illustration. So he suggested to him that he should follow one of the sunnahs that he saw that was lacking on this person. So when he suggested it to this person, he says that the person stopped coming. The person stopped coming. And he himself says that I regretted that until this day. Now he's writing, you know, years, maybe decades later. He says, I regretted that until this day. Meaning, what is he regretting? He's regretting that... His words forced the person away from the gathering. Even though he was completely well-intentioned and he was actually doing what he felt was best, he was trying to take the person from wherever they were, give them a tiny exam, and pass them to the next level. But he felt so responsible that He didn't fully grasp the person. Maybe he understood 98% of the person. He didn't understand that last 2% of the person. He didn't recognize that if he gave that piece of advice, it would push the person away. He regretted that so much that years or decades later, he's writing about it. And then decades later, I'm reading it, and other people are reading it, and we're feeling his pain. So subhanAllah, I mean, look at the, you know, what I want to say, customer service. Look at the customer service of the people of piety. They truly desire that every person that they come in touch touch with becomes connected to the masjid, becomes connected to Allah, becomes connected to something that's going to make them better than who they are. Now, by the way, this is all predicated on what? What's the secret sauce here? The secret sauce is that this is actually predicated on the Sunnah, right, meaning that the people of piety when they truly achieve their ranks as they begin to take tests, right, as you take tests you gain ranks, every time you take a test there's billions of ranks, okay, there's no 5, 10, 50, 40 ranks, there's billions of ranks, it's very nuanced. And every time we take a test in life, we pass or fail, a quiz, we pass or fail, an exam, we pass or fail, and we go up or down or up or down a rank. Every time we do a deed, we move up or down a rank. So what happens is these people of piety, they, they get this rank where not only are the external sunnas alive in them, meaning you might see on them some external sunnas, but the internal sunnas become alive in them. The internal sunnahs are what? The internal sunnah, the example of an internal sunnah is that the Prophet was literally annihilating his own self worried about the athar of the people. It's in the Quran. Like, perhaps you'll annihilate yourself worrying about the athar of the people. Meaning worried about the footsteps of the people. The fact that they're going in another direction. The fact that you're not able to bring them to their ultimate uh, goal of existence. So what happens is this characteristic, which is a sunnah, right? Basically, if the the Qur'an is saying that the Prophet is about to annihilate himself, worrying about what's going to happen to all of humanity and desiring what's best for all of humanity, if that's the state of the Prophet as described by the Qur'an, and it's, by the way, the dominant state of the Prophet in fact, I can share with you another point, which I recently was listening to one of the scholars. He was saying that, uh, you know, the the, the Prophet said them right, there was a year of sadness. Everybody's heard of it. In the sunnah, there's a year called the year of sadness. And in that year of sadness, many things happened. The Prophet said them, at that point in time, he was, like, excommunicated from the tribe of Quraysh, and he was placed out, outside of the and isolated in a, in a location away from where all the people were living. And then, of course, it was a very, very difficult time on the Prophet said them, Uh and then eventually his wife passes away, his uncle passes away. So exceedingly his yeah, wife passes away, uncle passes away, it's exceedingly difficult. Okay? It was exceedingly difficult on the prophesies on them. So they call that the year of sadness. But the scholar says that uh, you have to understand that when they say year of sadness, what do they mean? Why, why are the scholars classifying this as year of sadness? Because if you say this is the year of sadness because relatives passed away, then there's numerous circumstances where you could call it sadness. The Prophet ﷺ literally is burying his own children with his hand. We don't call that the year of sadness, right? Hamza <laughs> or is murdered or whatever, Shahid shaheed in the Battle of Uhud. We don't call that the year of sadness. Really why it was the year of sadness was on top of the difficulties that the Prophet faced, when he was excommunicated from the Quraysh and he was isolated and away from everybody, the one thing that he couldn't do that he always did was da'wah. Because he couldn't do da'wah, because he was isolated from everyone, that made, him, that made it the year of sadness for him. Because that was the thing that kept him up at night and always made him worry. He wanted that every single human being receive this message of, of Allah's oneness and how to succeed in the hereafter. So the point that I'm trying to make is that this is one of the, the quintessential sunnah of the Prophet to have a concern for all of humanity and to desire that each person in humanity get connected with Allah. And you find this example over and over again. By the way, when we say adin al nasiha, when we say adin al nasiha, what does adin al nasiha mean? Adin al nasiha is, deen is, you know, one way to translate this is that deen is goodwill. Deen is goodwill. Now, when you come to me and you say, or when I, if I come to you and I say, you know, brother, can you give me some nasiha? Right, then you would say, okay, I'm asking you for advice. I'm not, I am asking you for advice, but I'm asking you for something more than advice. I'm asking you for advice predicated on what you think from your heart and your iman will be best for me. Meaning, I'm asking you to share your goodwill to with me through advice. That's what's the essence of nasiha. So when we say ad deen and nasiha, deen is goodwill, meaning that. The ultimate expression of deen is goodwill towards all of creation and, of of course, all of humanity in this case. It can even apply to creation, but in this case, humanity. So this characteristic, this desire that every single person in creation have a uh, connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a characteristic that has to be present in all of us. This is a sunnah that all of us, you know, you, you can't Wrap a thobe around yourself and say, I have I have this concern. I would have been argue it's easy to put on a thobe and a turban. It's very difficult to love all of humanity more than you love yourself. To really have that concern for all of humanity more than we actually have for ourselves. And that was the Prophet. He really his concern was greater for humanity than it was for himself. So Anyway, my point being that, you know, this test came upon me, which you can see I, I miserably failed. And then what happens, SubhanAllah, I go to this, first of all, I, how many times do I even go to places that much? But I go to this event, and I sit down at the table, and there's like 10 people, and everybody's eating. And then after we eat, a uh, brother just starts talking, and he starts. He, he literally says this. Like, he, he just says, A nasiha and goes off and starts giving this talk on Nasiha, and how, you know, same thing, similar to what I just said, but it's predicated on the goodwill of a human being, and that really what it it's goodwill, and I just put my head down, and I'm like, man, I'm getting slapped, <laughs> because now it's like, I already had this, like, weight, and I'm like, this picture of this person's in my head for hours and hours and hours, and up until today, and... And then all of a sudden, like, I'm thinking about all these things, and then all of a sudden we go to this event, and then this person, like, out of nowhere starts talking about this topic and, like, just pours on all of this, like, you know, like, here's your, here's your F, let me highlight that. Anyway, I mean, the point is that it's very, very important for us to appreciate two things. Number one is that the tests come from everywhere. And they come from where you least expect them. It's never going to be that I'm going to give a talk, or someone else is going to give a talk about something, and the test is going to be exactly on what we spoke about. No, the test is going to come when you get in some sort of argument at home, or some unique circumstance comes up, and all of a sudden you're tested about basic, basic things like you know goodwill, concern, backbiting, uh, you know, having, giving people the benefit of the doubt, making excuses for others. Et cetera, et cetera. It's the test. They come from a totally different direction. This isn't physics 101. where like, you're going to be tested on the exact thing that the person wrote on the chalkboard. No. When you present yourself in the, when we present ourselves in the masjid, when, if I present myself to some madrasa to, to study a class, what I'm really doing is I'm basically wa- waving, uh, wa- waving my hand and saying, la I'm presenting myself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, here was my, um, my step towards you. Here's my step towards you. I'm making a step towards you to gain knowledge. I'm making a step towards you to do a thicket. I'm making a step towards you for some aspect of the dean, maybe to make a donation, whatever it might be. And then the test comes from left field. The test comes, and the, the true metal is the character. So the test comes on a person's character from left field. Some weird thing happens that you could never even imagine in your life that it could be relevant to you, but it'll come from left field in a way that you never expected. And then we're tested to see when we... When we raised our hand in that gathering, were we really ready to be there? That, that's really what the test is. It's never going to be uh, the, the, the chapter of Quduri that the person was reading in Madrasa. No one's going to come and ask you that specific question. Okay, what does this mean? What does this line, wa what, what does this line mean? You know? that, that's not, not going to be the test. That's the test maybe on the exam that they give you on paper, but that's not the test of life. When a person wants that they approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, and they present themselves in the masjid, at salah, in the madrasa, at the, the school of hif, uh, etc. Then Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la will test them in small, 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 small ways, sometimes in big, big, big ways. And each of those tests is really a test of their presenting themselves. And every time the person presents themselves again, another test from a different direction will come. So... You know, yeah, we have to wisen up to the, to the thing. I mean, we're, think, we're waiting for that perfect test. Of, well, I can't wait till the person asks me about this unique interest question regarding this transaction. That is not going to be the test. No mufti gets tested that way because that's easy. You just write the fatwa and you're right no matter what. You know, one reward if you're right, uh, sorry, one reward if you're wrong and two if you're right. The test is going to come out of someplace you didn't expect it to come. Where somebody's gonna say something, somebody's gonna text something, somebody's gonna write something, somebody's gonna do something, and then you gotta respond and it tests you totally to your mettle to see whether the essence of Dean is in you. And what's the essence of Deen? The goodwill and concern for all of humanity. Do I deal with people the way that I want to be dealt with? Do I forgive people the way I want to be forgiven? Do I overlook the way people want to overlook? Honestly, I spent so many hours, I mean, I cannot tell you how many hours I spent thinking about the, what, what happened out there in the Joma when I was sitting in the office. And I started thinking, okay, what should I have done? Because this is part of test, right? You look at the quiz. By the way, whenever you take a test in school, one of the very useful things is to look at the test and see what the questions you got wrong were and then figure out how you could have done them better. So I'm asking myself, okay, I failed in this. What should I have done? And I, and I, th- I concluded, like, you know, I should have just said, give me your keys. I'll park your car. I was done with Joma. I wasn't doing anything else. I should have just taken his keys, parked his car. He would have come inside and at least prayed Dhuhr if he didn't make the jummah. So maybe that could have been one solution. You know, I was—I don't know—I rans- was ransacking my mind for two days. So anyway, uh, my, you know, the point being, in the summary for today: that every time we present ourselves anywhere and we make a claim for Deen, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will test. Sahaba—they went through big tests. They made a claim for Deen. By the way, you want to—you want to study the sirah? One broad theme in the seerah is this yin yang between uh, test, class, test, class, test, class. What happens? Sahaba are sitting with the Prophet a big test comes. Then they come back, they're sitting in the Masjid of Medina, a new test comes. Then they come back, they're sitting in the Masjid of Medina, then the next test comes. And you're going to see this like yin yang of Class test. Class test. Class test. Now their tests are immense. Their test is Badr, Well, their test is hijra. Big test. I mean, none of us could do that, but that was mandatory at that time. Hijra, uh, badar, uhud, et cetera, uhud etc., etc., etc. All these tests came upon them. Now, subhanAllah, we don't live in that time. I mean, if we were present, we might fail the first one and we'd be out. You know, maybe this is Allah's mercy upon us that we're not present at that time. A lot of people think if I was present at the same time of Sahaba, I would, you know, what are you talking about, brother? <laughs> if you were present at the time of Sahaba, who knows where we would be? So, alhamdulillah, we don't have those kind of tests, but there are tests in life. There's no way you can avoid them. And every time you present yourself, now, we don't have the opportunity to present ourselves in the midst of Medina to the Prophet's gathering, so perhaps... The classroom is not as intense either. But look, anytime we present ourselves, if you're truly looking to earn what you're looking to earn, every salah we present ourselves to, every class we present ourselves to, every moment we present ourselves claiming, making a claim, because those presentations are a claim, right? When I come to this gathering, I'm making a claim that, yeah, Allah, I'm presenting myself in this gathering to advance myself in proximity to you. But that proximity, sure, it comes through dhikr, but it even comes more so through the tests that are going to come upon us, and those tests are going to be t- tests of character. And sometimes they're really difficult. Sometimes your father-in-law will yell at you, your mother-in-law will yell at you, your whatever person will yell at you. I mean, th- these are just names of people that just come up in life. But the, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is really in control of everything. It's so important to see things for what they really are. Now, nobody does at the time, right? Because you get caught up in the circumstance and you lose sight of who you actually are. And then you look back at it and re- look back at it and regret. But it's so important to just appreciate where the tests lie and to just know that they're going to come and to reflect back on yesterday and ask the question, you know, how did I perform? And that's also one of the benefits of istighfar. We can always make istighfar when we uh, don't meet um, the criteria that we set for ourselves. But this game is a game of class and test. There's a time for class and there will always be a commensurate test. There's always a commensurous test. Nobody can make the claim to Allah's subhanahu proximity without first being tested to ensure the, the, the truth of that sincerity and the purity that's required to be able to gain that proximity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to benefit from the class, and may He make us amongst those who are able to pass our tests.